Hello, everybody, and thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, and I'm so excited to speak with our two guests today. We've got Dr. Gustavo Martinez of Rosalind Franklin University and Dr. Dani Aranz of Rutgers University. So we brought you two together today because you each had some recent publications in kind of adjacent areas. We thought it'd be really fun if y'all could explain your work uh, to each other. But first, let's Let's get to some introductions. Dr. Martinez, would you mind kind of telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Gustavo Martinez, originally from Argentina. I'm an assistant professor at Rosalind Franklin University in uh, North Chicago, and I've been a CS grantee for the past four years. Thank you. And Dr. Aranz, would you mind giving us a quick introduction? Hi, everyone. I'm Dani Aranz. I'm originally from Spain. I uh, I'm assistant professor of pharmacology at Drucker Cancer Institute of New Jersey, and I've been an ACS uh, grantee for uh, a year and a half now. Action-packed year and a half has been a weird year and a half. But both of y'all, I don't know when you found time to actually do science in this crazy year we just went through, but you just published some findings, both of you. So we thought it'd be fun to get the two of you together to talk a little science. Dr. Martinez, we'll start with you. So Sure. KDM6B regulates the generation of effector CD8 T cells by inducing chromatin accessibility in effector-associated genes. This was published in the Journal of Immunology. Would you mind taking us through it? Yeah, sure. So my lab is mostly interested in the transcriptional and epigenetic regulation of T cell differentiation, primarily CD8 T cells. Uh, so, you know, we have shown in the past the role of NFAT family members in driving effector memory and CD80 cell exhaustion. Uh, so primarily my grant is actually on trying to understand again the mechanisms behind these differentiation pathways so that we can potentially modulate how the T cells respond in the context of cancer. So the idea behind this is primar primarily there's a lot of uh, research right now on using the own immune, immune system uh, in immunotherapy, right? So you can use our own CDAT cells to kill uh, tumor cells. So our interest is mostly how can we modulate or, or what are the effector functions, what molecules are required for the effector functions. So we started working on this molecule called KDM6B or lysine demethylase 6B, which is a H3K27 demethylase uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so we basically just summarized briefly what we found in our paper is that KDM6B is really important for regulating the effectors associated genes in CDATs during CDAT cell differentiation. So by using either mouse models with KDM6B deficiency in T cells or SHRNA strategies to knock down KDM6B, we showed that basically in the absence of KDM6B, CDAT cells don't commit to an effector phenotype, lack proper effector function, and the cells instead differentiate more towards a memory phenotype. However, when we re-challenge mice uh, at a memory time point with uh, pathogens, we found that those memory CDAT cells were not functional. So basically, even though the KDM6B deficient cells look more like memory cells, they lack the typical effect of function acquisition upon a re-challenge. And this is really important for uh, the cancer aspect because you want to identify markers or molecules that grant the T cells uh, better at killing. And we actually found that KDM6B 
efficient CDAT cells lack uh, killing capacity. We show that both in in vitro models as well as in vivo tumor protection experiments. So mice basically uh, transfer CDAT cells lacking KDM6B, and we show that uh, they're unable to protect uh, like mice from those tumors. And mechanistically, we identify that in the absence of KDM6B, there's a defect in the uh, chromatin accessibility of those infectious acidic genes. So, Dr. Arans, you read this paper and you listened to Gustavo just now. Any questions pop to mind, or do you have any kind of uh, re reactions? Yeah, I think it's it's a very nice study. I, I really liked it uh, when I read it, and of course, Gustavo summarized it uh, really nice. So, I guess my my, my first question, uh, thinking from a therapeutic perspective, is how, how would you use this, right? Like, uh, are there KDM6B activators described or some downstream target that you could activate and therefore hopefully get a stronger reaction, right? I guess that's the direction that uh, the, the, the study would go into. Uh, yeah, we, that, that's a great question. And we are actually, as we speak, trying to... So, what we found is in the absence of KDM6B, we saw this defect in the effector function. So we're now trying to do do the opposite and overexpress it to see whether upon overexpression of KDM6B, you can render the cells more effector uh, and have a better cytotoxic uh, activity. The idea behind this, what we, we've been thinking, we, even though we haven't done this yet, is using chimeric antigen receptor T cell strategy uh, and maybe overexpressing KDM6B or, or modulating some of the downstream targets, which we are also trying to pursue as well, to see whether we can uh, render the T cells more cytotoxic, basically. Sounds, sounds great. Uh, are there any also pharmacological drugs that could either activate or inhibit <laughs> enzyme? Or, I mean, I, I understand that probably the CAR uh, approach is probably better because then you only have those in the T cells, not affecting the rest of the body as with a drug, uh, but uh, are there any pharmacological uh, uh, agents being developed or? There's, def there's definitely uh, inhibitors for KDM6B. In fact, there's at the same time that we published this work, another group in Australia, uh, Turner group, published uh, some day similar data using the inhibitor. But the inhibitor also works against KDM6A, which is another uh, member of the same family that has the same K27 dimethylase activity. But there's definitely potential for uh, therapeutic, but not necessarily in the cancer field because you would be rendering the T cells less effector with a less effector function. And one of the other reasons why we also started to look at this is because KDM6B, actually therapeutic targeting of KDM6B has been proposed directly in cancer cells. However, we now cautious that this might be reconsidered because, yeah, you're maybe targeting the cancer T, the, the cancer cells themselves, but you're also preventing the proper immune response uh, against those tumor cells. So it's double-edged sword. There's definitely inhibitors, not so much when it comes to activators, but that's probably a potential uh, area for therapeutic intervention in the future as well. Okay, so maybe we could switch gears now. Um, Dr. Erans, you recently published work in the journal Blood titled A Novel and Highly Effective Mitochondrial Uncoupling Drug in T-Cell Leukemia. Highly effective. Wish I could be highly effective, but uh, could you go ahead and kind of tell us uh, some of the highlights? So um, my lab is focused on T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia, TALL. This is a disease of the T-cells. 
Uh, it occurs predominantly in children, although it also occurs in, in adults. And um, although most patients get cured, it's, it's one of the cancers that, you know, the, over the last decades we've gotten better at curing, there's still 20% of the kids and 50% of adults uh, relapse and, and ultimately die of the of the leukemia. So, of course, there's room to improve and, and develop novel uh, therapeutic strategies for these patients. So, uh, when I started my lab, one of the things that we were focused on was on, on trying to target cancer metabolism in leukemia, because we already know from, you know, from data from many other people and, and decades of, of uh, research that uh, cancer metabolism is really relevant in, in this leukemia. Uh, you know, it's one of the leukemias that can be targeted with uh, l asparaginase or with methotrexate, sorry, uh, and other anti-metabolite drugs. So, and, and because of uh, preliminary data from my postdoc, we, we uh, felt that uh, targeting directly mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation might be a, an interesting strategy in this type of leukemia. So when I started my lab at Rutgers, I actually partnered with another PI here that had just developed a, a new derivative of niclosamide. Uh, niclosamide is a drug that is FDA approved and is used to treat uh, um, some parasites, actually, and it works by uncoupling the mitochondria of the parasite. But it also has uh, these uncoupling properties in, in mammalian uh, mitochondria. So he has developed a, a, a new compound based on this niclosamide, but with vastly improved exposure in vivo, so that uh, you know the PK properties, the pharmacokinetic properties of this drug is, uh, are very much improved. And uh, because of that, it, it should work better in, in, in real patients, right? So we started testing that in, in our TALL uh, model, and we saw in vitro that it works uh, like a charm. It, it, it kills uh, leukemia cells. Uh, uh, very effectively, it, it does have both cytostatic and cytotoxic activity, uh, and beyond the, the the effects on on T cells in or TLL in vitro, um, our lab does a lot of work in vivo. Of course, that's the ultimate goal, and we tested this drug in normal healthy mice uh, first to see whether it have any sort of toxicity, and we actually. Uh, treating the animals for over a month, we didn't see any uh, bad effect. They, they didn't show any loss of weight or any hematological parameter that would go wrong, let's say. So it, it sh should have a fairly safe uh, uh, therapeutic index. And then we tried it, of course, in in, uh, in leukemias in vivo. And uh, we did this in several ways. We, we used uh, mouse primary leukemias, uh, in which actually we had a uh, we have different genetic tricks. We have leukemias in which we can uh, actually isogenically delete P10, and this is relevant because 20% of patients loss of P10 show loss of P10, and that is associated with resistance to certain type of uh, drug treatments. And and in our hands, treating with this novel uncoupler, regardless of P10 status, we observe very uh, significant therapeutic effects, and and we could extend the survival of mice uh, twofold. And um, we also tested these using human primary derived uh, xenografts. Uh, and again, uh, we show uh, very nice therapeutic effects that seem to be uh, there regardless of the specific uh, mutations or the genetic subgroup uh, of the specific leukemia that we were analyzing. So overall, uh, suggesting that uh, this uh, novel drug could be a, a relevant uh, novel alternative to treat uh, leukemia in a broad spectrum. Whew, novel alternative to treat leukemia in a broad spectrum. That's a pretty 
Good wrap-up sentence there. So, Dr. Martinez, do you have any clarifying questions you want to ask? Yeah, first comments? of all, that, that's a beautiful study. Uh, Danny, a, you know, when I, re I read a paper, I was really impressed with the two-fold survival of these mice. I mean, that's quite impressive for TLL. Um, one question, and I know that in the discussion, you guys comment on this about combination therapy, uh, and you actually have some preliminary data in the discussion as well. So what are your thoughts in terms of combination therapy? I mean, obviously, that is uh, potentially the goal. Um, so what are your thoughts and how's the direction of the lab going right now? Yeah, so as, as you say, that there's a little snippet of data there in the discussion that was, uh, of course, asked for uh, by some reviewer. I but, imagine that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> But that's exactly the direction we are going into. Uh, so uh, I didn't mention it, but TLL is treated by very intensive regimes that involve, uh, you know, many different type of drugs in different phases of induction, consolidation, and maintenance. So there's a lot of uh, things uh, being given to the patients. So we are trying now to understand if there are any specific drug with which our mitochondrial accompler would synergize uh, better because that would probably be the best moment to introduce it. Uh, as you said, you know, we get to fall in uh, extension and survival, but all the mice eventually die. That is in and of itself not bad in the sense that with single agent treatment, you never cure uh, leukemias. That's why, you know, patients are treated with a multi-combinatorial regime. But now we want to kind of figure out exactly with which drug maybe it would uh, make more sense to combine to get uh, to the cure uh, phases uh, of, you know, to get to cure the, the, the leukemia. So uh, we, in the paper, we did a little bit of in vitro data uh, that showed that with dexamethasone and uh, with uh, vincristine, it shows synergism. And with, uh, I think, um, asparaginase it was additive, I think. Uh, but uh, we are actually interested in, in testing this actually primarily with drugs that are more used in relapse cases, because that's probably the easiest uh, or, or the first clinical trial that we would be getting the drug into. Because as I mentioned, most patients get cured, so it's difficult, it's a disease that is difficult to bring new things to clinical trials just because of that. Um, so that means that probably the first cases that we would be using it into would be in relapse or refractory cases. So um, we are trying right now to, to, to do this again, both in vitro and in vivo, combine it with everything that is given to patients, see where synergism might happen, and then testing that in vivo. Yeah. Yeah, one, one other comment. It was really surprising that you didn't, you guys didn't see any hematological abnormalities when you treated the mice for 30 days with the metabolic crumpler. So at what age do you guys treat the mice? How do you look at, at younger mice? Because, you know, ideally, I mean, this could also be a therapeutic for uh, pediatric patients, right? Yep. But you know, we know that during the immune response or the immune system is more active, or you have more hematopoietis early on. So I, want, I was wondering if you guys tried at different ages in mice and see whether you have the same effects or not. So for, for this story, we, we didn't do a, a range of ages. Uh, we typically use six to eight week old mice, which is fairly young. I mean, not extremely young, but they are young mice. But definitely uh, moving forward, we, we would want to do this even in younger mice uh, to cover, you know, the, the youngest kids uh, out there to see whether they, it's still safe uh, in that case. Uh, so, I mean, again, the fact that in six to eight weeks, all mice seem to have no 
deleterious effect is is promising. But no, no, clearly. I was actually really surprised when I started reading the paper. I was, I was like, I wonder if it has any hematological yeah. effects. I mean, and then you guys saw the data, and it was really actually that's usually the case, right? I mean, most of the time when you target leukemia cells, you also target normal T cells. Uh, yeah, normal hematopoiesis. Yeah, definitely. or or with other drugs. Uh, and in this case. I don't know if we are, if it just has good enough activity to, uh, that the cancer cells are more sensitive than than, uh, than normal cells, or part of it we believe is, uh, the drug is 99% uh, um, bound to albumin in the, in the blood, so maybe uh, the distribution is also a bit uh, better for the therapeutic purposes uh, and, and not so good for toxic purposes, let's say. You know, if it was more free in the blood, maybe we would see uh, more of those potential toxicities, but uh, oh, that makes sense. But yeah. So so let me ask, um, I mean, obviously we've, we fund a great deal of cancer research into everything from, you know, what causes it? Why does it spread? How do you treat it better? How do you catch it earlier? How do you prevent it? The whole continuum. So if you had to explain to somebody who's, maybe their father's got cancer, maybe they are recovering themselves. If you had to explain like, what's your approach? Why is it important? How are you approaching the problem? How would yeah? How would you answer that question? And Danny, maybe I'll start with you. So from the therapeutic point of view, I guess that's kind of uh, more or less what your question is going to, because I think that's what most lay people would be into. So I have to say my lab is focused both in basic biology and in therapeutic approach, which are related but are not always exactly you know following each other. Uh, so from the therapeutic point of view, uh, we are uh, focusing on on trying to analyze what every single metabolic route that a cell can use, uh, what every single one of these does in leukemia, meaning can we find one metabolic route that is more relevant in leukemia than in normal cells, and then use it to our advantage to develop novel treatments and, and so on and so forth. And that is based, again, in, in the fact that we know metabolism is very important and it's already been used in, in already approved drugs. But the metabolic space is extremely broad and there's a lot uh, yet to be discovered, uh, we, we believe. What a nice explanation of how your lab kind of marries basic biology with a therapeutic approach. That was great. Um, Dr. Martinez, how would, how would you answer that question? Yeah, so, you know, my lab is mostly interested on the basic aspect that can ultimately be used uh, as a therapeutic approach in the future. So we are, my lab is mostly interested in understanding how we can modulate our own immune system's response against the tumor cells so that we can identify pathways that are really key for the T cells to be able to kill the tumor cells. And this will have quite a lot of implications in immunotherapeutic approaches uh, down, down the line. Again, we are mostly interested in the basic mechanisms so that we can understand the basic biology that will eventually help us get to the point where we can change or modulate the responses of their own immune system so that it fights the tumor cells or the cancer better. So I guess related question, you're both American Cancer Society grantees, and I, I wonder if, if you could talk a bit about how ACS funding has impacted uh, your work or your career. I can start if you want. Um, I mean, obviously the, the help that uh, we got from the American Cancer Society, it's immense. I mean, I really appreciate it. It's, it's, 
impressive that the American Cancer Society helps funding so many research projects at so many different levels throughout investigators' careers. So in our case, it's, uh, it's new, new, newly investigators, right? But ACS funds research throughout everybody's careers, and I think that's impressive to not only uh, help investigators start their own labs in their own careers, but also sustain. Uh, the funding environment is becoming tougher and tougher in the United States. So having foundations like ACS support this research, it's immense. And I wouldn't be here without ACS funding, basically. I, I, I have uh, little to add to that, but uh, I guess that focusing more in, in the, this type of funding that is for uh, new investigators, these uh, research scholar grants, I think that uh, they are extremely helpful uh, for all of us. It's a huge amount of, of, of money that helps really uh, kick off your lab uh, when you are a new, uh, new investigator. Getting funding from NIH is, is really tough, as Gustavo said. And uh, having one of these grants, first of all, is really prestigious. Uh, so it also attracts additional funding, which in the end is what is going to consolidate your lab and allow you to keep going and keep doing your research. Uh, but of course, then there is the, the money that it comes with that is already uh, a huge help to drive forward a really interesting project. Again, uh, all of the projects funded are, are really great. And, uh, and you know, the, the research being published uh, from them uh, shows it. Yeah, and also, if you like, I would like to also add, I also appreciate that ACS considers so many aspects of the cancer and funds so many different areas of, of research. I mean, it's impressive the breadth of areas founded by the ACS. And that, I think, overall helps all of us get to the point where we need to be to beat the cancer. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is diversity in cancer research. And listening to you talk and knowing that you've have these very successful careers, you're successfully competing for large grants, putting out these high impact publications. I mean, you're you're leaders in the field and you're and your role models. Diversity in cancer research we know is, is not where it should be in America, um, for sure. And as Hispanic men, Latino men um, who are thriving in, in your in your roles, I wonder if you have thoughts about how the scientific community can be better or how funders could be better, how how mentors could be more helpful. And I guess it's just really, I just wanted to ask this broad open-ended question about how we could do better in, uh, to make cancer research more diverse and if you have uh, thoughts or experiences that you feel comfortable sharing. I don't mind starting if you want. I think you, you should start from the lower levels uh, of encouraging uh, more diversity, even into the sciences fields, or even getting into college, or I think there has to be a massive educational shift, if you want, to allow all these diverse groups getting to the resources that are needed to have an education. Um, yeah. I mean, I, for instance, in, in Argentina, for instance, I didn't have to pay for college, right? So it's a completely different system. So, I, you know, I, we, it, this could be a, 
a whole podcast in itself if you want. Sure. But um, I think it should start. I mean, definitely there has to be more diversity in, in not only in cancer research, but in research in general. But I think that should stem from changing the accessibility of diverse groups to becoming, uh, to go to college and to become scientists. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with, with Gustavo. I was going to say that, you know, my experience is very similar. I, I got my education in Spain uh, for free, basically. So when I came to the U.S. as a postdoc, I mean, to me, to me I, I didn't see the, the bad parts of the system. I was seeing all the good parts that it has compared to Spain, because here there's so much more funding, so much more access to cutting edge technology. So there's, I mean, there's definitely a very good part to what is already here. Uh, but in order to, to get, I think, to a more diverse uh, field of researchers, you really need to start from, from the bottom and get people to have access to good quality education uh, across the board. That's what would really be helpful. I mean, of course, you can try to address this with a positive uh, uh, kind of um, uh, policies, uh, trying to specifically broaden the diversity. But that's, I feel, is a bit of kind of adding patches. Uh, really what would uh, help fix it is to have everyone being able to get a good education, uh, regardless of their economic status uh, at the beginning. And and that's, I think, where you would start seeing the real change. Yeah. Do you have any advice for young Hispanic or Latino scientists taking an interest in, in science technology? I mean, I, I would say that not specifically to Latino, but to anyone that shows interest in, in, in science and technology, uh, you know, reach out, uh, try to connect with, uh, with uh, researchers, try to uh, volunteer, try to do your time and, and, you know, just keep going. Because this, I mean, the, our career, that's the other thing that maybe people don't really fully appreciate, but our career is kind of a marathon. It really never ends, and it's really ne never easy. <laughs> yeah. It's really, uh, uh, you know, you need to keep pushing. You need to go through multiple rejections at every single level, uh, you know. So if you write an email to somebody and you don't get a response, that's okay. Just You just keep trying, because that's what we do all the time with grants and papers and, and you name it. I like the analogy of the marathon, uh, especially I run... I run marathons, right? So I, I know how that feels. And so that's why I also like the American Cancer Society endurance team name, which is determination. You have to show determination uh, when it comes to running an endurance sports or when it comes to doing science and perseverance and not giving up. Uh, that's good advice. And this has been some well-spent time. I appreciate both of you. So thanks for all you're doing to push the field forward and uh, help cancer patients. We appreciate you. Thank, Thank you so much for the support.